Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are we gonna love them or hate them? Here Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the Binge Movie Podcast, where a couple of San Francisco homos uh, review the latest movie theater releases from our own queer-ass perspectives. My name is Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we're gonna look at Deadpool, Zoolander 2, and Where to Invade Next. And as always, we're gonna rate these movies on a three-tiered scale. With binge it being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for this mess. Um, also, the pick of the week for this week is How to Be Single, which um, had its own episode. Uh, you've probably already downloaded and listened to it, loved it. So glad you enjoyed it. Because it had a special interview with the writer-producer Dana Fox. So if you haven't checked it out yet, be sure to. Yes, please. Um, So we're going to start off with Deadpool. This is the origin story of former Special Forces operative turned mercenary Wade Wilson, who after being subjected to a rogue experiment that leaves him with accelerated healing powers, adopts the alter ego Deadpool. Armed with his new abilities and a dark, twisted sense of humor, Deadpool hunts down the man who nearly destroyed his life. I love you, Wade Wilson. We can fight this. You're right. The cancer's only my liver, lungs, prostate, and brain. All things I can live without. Rick's like old lady pants in here. Why such a douche this morning? Oh, God, you are hard to look at. You look like the topographical map of Utah. Exactly. First off, let's welcome a very special guest, the man with such remarkably poor judgment and lack of foresight that he willing decided to marry Mr. Jason Leroy. Ladies and gentlemen, Scott Ward. Yay! Thanks, everyone. Well, thanks for having me. Welcome, Scott. I've heard so much about this <laughs> <laughs> from the other side of the wall. From the other side of the apartment. <laughs> yes, from the place where you hide while we record it. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, so, Scott, you're here today because you live here. I do, and yes. because and he has squatters rights, so <laughs> it's 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 part of the prenup that he gets to sit in on one every ten episodes. But we are going to evict you. I'm turning this into a two floor Mexican restaurant soon, so <laughs> appreciate she's it while you have. Oh, San Francisco! She's been working us over this whole time. <laughs> um, so anyway, you are actually here because this is a nerd movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is a nerd movie. <laughs> it's a nerd movie special. <laughs> it, is, it is a nerd movie. And while Jason and I are very nerdy about a lot of things, such as... Lesbian music. Basketball. Cats. <laughs> that was for me. Vests. Drag queens. <laughs> um, we are not nerdy about Marvel or DC or Captain America mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. any of that nonsense is. Yeah. So, could you give us some context about this movie? Where it came from? What, where this lives in the superhero universe? So, Deadpool is one of the X-Men characters... Um, started in the 90s in the comics, and it kind of started off as a more of a spoof of a comic book character. Hmm. And it grew from there where the character really knew that he was in a comic and was often doing sort of like breaking the fourth wall commentary on the rest of the comic book characters he was in the story with. Uh-huh. Um, and then he was featured in a movie of the, the first Wolverine movie hmm. back in 2009, and there was a lot of uproar from fans because they really did a disservice to that character. Mm. And who, uh, was it Ryan Reynolds then? Yeah, so Ryan Reynolds was uh, playing Deadpool back then as well. Um, so this first Wolverine movie with Hugh Jackman, Deadpool was sort of the one of the villains of the movie. Oh. Yes. Huh. Um, and so backstory on the character, he's a, he's a mercenary. 
Um, and he's very like witty. He's always kind of commenting on the action he's in in the comics. And then in the and one of his nicknames is called a merc with the mouth, mercenary <laughs> with the mouth. He's always like having like one liners. Sassy. Sassy. He's, it sounds he, like something we would like. Merc yeah. with the mouth. Quippy. Yeah, quippy. <laughs> but then in this movie, um, the. In before, the Wolverine movie. In the Wolverine movie, before he got his powers, he was very much like Merc with a mouth, very like quippy. Mm-hmm. But then when he had his transformation, got his powers, they decided to sew his mouth shut and they didn't let the character actually have any dialogue. Oh. So weird. Why would they do that? I, I, I'm actually not sure, but it pissed off a lot yeah. of the fanboys. So it wasn't in any of the comic books that way or anything. No. It was just this... It was almost like a cosmic joke at the character's expense to like not let him speak anymore. Yes. But then it ruins the entertainment value of it for the fans. So yeah. like why would you fuck the fans? Like the fans are your everything with these kinds of movies. And it's probably more of like a Wolverine movie, so they didn't really care as much for mm. the Deadpool character. But Deadpool is it's a very like beloved, fun character in the X Men comics. Were you outraged? I was actually a little mm-hmm. bit outraged. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very just like fun character and they didn't Really do it ser- like a good service to it in the movie. Mm-hmm. So, would you say that you're pleased with this movie? And do you think, as we're going to just call you in this episode, King of the Nerds, <laughs> speaking for your people, are they pleased? Well, speaking on behalf of all of the nerds, yes. I would say I'm, I'm very pleased. They Ooh. definitely they got the humor of the character. They got the kind of the R-ratedness of the character. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so and- that's from the comic books. Kind of, yeah. I mean, he's an assassin, and he's like, he's very much, he's like kind of an anti-hero in the comic books. He's mm-hmm. not a hero. He's He kills people. He's like, he, a bunch of storylines where he was going off killing superheroes. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of a dark part to the character as well. And I think they really kind of got that, too. And was he was he the star of his own comics? Like, he, has, he had his own whole story going? He started off as kind of like a side character in other comics, but then became his own. Front. Yeah, became more more to the front. Oh, yeah. Got his own like his own strip. They saw the potential. Yeah. So he is he he can carry a movie basically. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 there's more than enough in this character to fill a whole movie. It doesn't feel like one of these spinoffs where it's like they're stretching and just trying to give extra mm-hmm. layers and dimensions to a character that just aren't there. Mm-hmm. So Jason, uh, because of marital obligation, I assume you've seen a lot of these superhero movies. <laughs> yes, but. I, they don't stick with you. No, I don't retain any of them. Uh, just it just, in and out. It's just just water off a duck's back. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I. I. I it's not that I don't. Tr- it's not that I don't try. Nor even that I don't care. Uh, it's just like my brain just doesn't retain it. It's like math and mm, science and, and things. The things that my, my brain birthday. just won't. Yeah, <laughs> your name sometimes in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so, so Susan, like- I think the thing that I would say <laughs> is that I did really, uh, yeah, no. So this this movie was very refreshing to me for sure, um, and it, it, you know, but in terms of what I knew about it going into it, mm-hmm. uh, nothing. I didn't know. I didn't realize it was part of the X Men world. I didn't know where it was. I didn't know like what character should I be expecting to like pop up at some point. I I, I had no clue. And uh, and then there there is a reference. There is a number of joking references to like Wolverine and sometimes just Hugh Jackman directly. Oh, um, there is references to like the X Men timeline. Like who's going to be playing Professor X? Uh, you know, like so. There's 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 a lot of uh, very referential jokes uh, in this movie that were very. I was like, oh, okay, I feel like I'm getting these, but I feel like there's probably also a lot that they did that I didn't get. Scott. And, and that, that's a big part of the comic is that Deadpool knows that he's in a comic. Mm-hmm. So he's breaking the fourth wall all the time. 
And right. so when he's in a story with other comic book characters, he's often commenting on the structure of the story. Yeah. Um, so that was great to see in the movie where he was actually really commenting on just the structure of a comic book movie. Yeah. So it feels that by by keeping true to that that style, it's a fan or it's for fans of both the comics and people who don't like comic book movies because it's yeah. kind of like seems like maybe a joke. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it, it, it really couldn't be less self serious. Uh, and, and I think if there's one thing that I think comes up a lot in criticism of, of sort of the evolution of comic book movies is that, you know, the, the Nolanization where everything just has become so weighty and so Mm -hmm. severe and so intense and so like infused with so much drama and, uh, and something that start off as it's supposed to be fun. And, uh, and I, and, and I'm not saying that I, I mean, I, you know, think the Nolan Batman films are great, but I think that. You know, it has to be there in the characters for right. it to really work. You and can't I just think politicize the the characters for your right yeah. situation. Right, exactly. Although the X Men movies did seem to have a lot of parallels with the kind of the gay experience in America at the time, which was yeah, or and with a lot of experiences. I think mm-hmm. you know that's the thing about the X Men is that you could project a number of different sort of minority groups onto it and see a, an allegory. Um, and uh, but but I think that you know, so Deadpool does not have any of that self seriousness. It is wisecracking from beginning to end. Uh, it's it's could not be more irreverent, uh, and yeah, I, I did not feel alienated at all. But then, so I was able to enjoy it on my own wavelength, mm-hmm. and then Scott was enjoying like just the mile a minute internal references. They were like just referencing the first movie, making fun of the first movie so much. They were yeah, referencing I didn't comics. catch any of that. Yeah. They were referencing so many different things. They had a lot of shots of both Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman on their sexiest man alive covers for People magazine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, Ryan Reynolds, uh, at least one of you, agrees that he belongs in the cover magazine, maybe? Is he the sexiest man alive? A sex god? I mean, here's something that I like about Ryan Reynolds in this movie, is that he allows himself to be objectified and ogled. Like, he is, the movie Mm -hmm. is very in. Yes. Thank you, Ryan Reynolds. (laughs) Thank you, Ryan Reynolds. Thank you, Ray Ray. It was very, very generous of you to give us so much of your ass. Uh, it's ah, this is the gay baiting I've been hearing about. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's there's more than just that. Uh, but yeah, no, he 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 allows himself to be objectified and is very aware of like actually uh, going to the very beginning of the movie. Um, <laughs> this movie did waste no time telling you how like irreverent and out of the box it's going to be because the opening credits, rather than actually giving you any names, just sort of like break down the list of cliches. Uh, that like okay, and you know, starring a CGI character, oh, okay. a sullen teen, <laughs> um, and then for Ryan Reynolds, they say God's perfect idiot. <laughs> uh, so and it's like written and directed by some douchebag. Like this, <laughs> these are the opening credits of the movie, okay. and um, and so right from the very beginning, there's a, the movie is very aware of Ryan Reynolds' like pinup, you know, basically status. And, uh, and, and he does a lot of, and he has, you know, partial nude scenes, even when he's wearing the suit, it's like, could not be more revealing and skin tight. And he is okay with that. Like he is okay being like a himbo. Like he knows that's part of his appeal and part of his brand Mm -hmm. and the movie knows it. And so, you know, it's, it's okay acknowledging it. And the gay baiting gets a lot more specific than just him showing his perfect ass. Um, (laughs) When you first see him walking around in the movie as as the man he is before he's Deadpool, he is wearing a Dorothy Spornak tank top. What? Yes. 
So this is your favorite movie of the year. I like, I couldn't eat, like, it was, I, I, I had to like, <laughs> I needed a minute. You still can't. I, I still can't. I can't and I won't. And then you later. You at first. I, was I like, did, yeah, I was stop like, pointing I was like, out. I was like, look at the shirt. Look at the because shirt. I was just staring at his face. <laughs> and like then I had to like look down and I was like, oh my God. Like a rookie. And then so wait, later. So quickly, Scott, did he make that noise that he makes in the movies? Oh no. No. no I, out of respect to my husband, I don't make that noise around him. <laughs> Good to know. Yes, I only make that around you because I know it bothers you. (laughs) Uh, The the noise is something like, something like that. So I did not make that noise. Um, And now you have it on on audio. Mm, So you can make it your ringtone for me whenever I text you. (laughs) (laughs) So not only does he wear a B. Arthur tank top, he also later uh, is wearing a Rent t-shirt while praising, while seeing the praises of Bernadette Peters. (laughs) <laughs> so like is this a thing in the comic books that he's like a basically like a musical theater fag like in a ripped up or straight dude's body he is ambiguously bisexual okay in the comic books mm. where there's been times where like he's commenting on like talking to thor and basically saying man you, you look so attractive right now mm-hmm. and then thor kind of like has like a double take and uh, then something else happens and so there is a history of like deadpool being Characterizes bisexual, but then hmm. not really. Kind of switching in the moment. Ah, yeah, fluid. And there's yes, he's yes, he's fluid. Like 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 now, Demarco. Uh, and isn't uh, and Ryan Reynolds has been saying things in the press about like I would be open to Deadpool having a boyfriend in the sequel. Like so, there this is something they seem to be you know definitely leaning into and not they're not they're not straight washing it. Mm-hmm. They're 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 letting him play with that. And I feel like there's there's a lot of kind of little gay moments in the movie. And I wasn't sure if it was like your typical, just like sarcastic bro sort of gay panic jokes, or if it was actually supposed to be more ambiguous than that. And I guess it's supposed to be more ambiguous. I, I would say it's probably both. Yeah, I, I think like they backpedaled some of it from the comics when it's kind of they published some things. Mm. But I think it was probably it's probably both where they're they're being campy and fun, right? And kind of like winking toward that from the comics, but. Mm. I don't know if it's going to be like a serious thing. Well, you do see Ryan Reynolds get pegged in this movie, though. <laughs> really? Yes. There's there's a montage. There's a sex scene montage of like he, his his love interest in the film, who's played by Marina Bakarin from Homeland. Uh, there's a uh, there's a montage of them having sex throughout a full calendar year, <laughs> and uh, and and they you know they try a number of things, and in one of them, yeah, he's on his hands and knees naked in front of her uh, while she's like leaning over his shoulder, and she's like. Just relax. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned Marina McCarn in, in such ways. Yes. Um, and there are also um, other strong female characters. Gina Carano, mm-hmm. uh, all around badass. Yes. Does this movie Please say yes. pass the Bechdel test? <laughs> it doesn't. Oh. But here's the thing. I feel like this gets an exception because it has like four interesting female characters despite being this you know comic book action movie okay and it just so happens that none of them ever really intersect okay um so there's there's marina mccarran there's gina carano uh there is this the, the teenage girl who's negasonic negasonic teenage warhead that's her name or is uh, it oh of the uh the warheads from uh, <laughs> the old country <laughs> yes yes and uh and then there's out of out of nowhere uh leslie uggams uh, is is in the movie as uh, as Deadpool's roommate, and uh, so so there's these four kind of very interesting female characters, and I and I and technically they don't speak to each other, and technically of course none of them are the leads, but they talk about things other than 
Just yeah. Men. Two of them do have a big fight scene. Yeah, there is a big there is a big lady fight scene. Um, for what that's worth, uh, with, that's also the that's also the closest Zoolander two comes to. Oh God, uh, to we'll, get to yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that later. How about the Duvernay test? So um, it has. Uh, so the Duvernay. Did you have you heard about this, Scott? I mean, uh, I've I've heard of Ava Duvernay, but I yes. didn't know there was a test. Yes, it's been introduced just like two weeks ago. Oh, okay. Uh, so meaning, you know, does it have? Um, does it give people of color? substantial like substantial substantive characters beyond just background color for white characters no <laughs> i would say i think the duvernay test see the bechdel test is black and white does this or does this not <laughs> ironically, happen ironically <laughs> ironically <laughs> ironically the bechdel test is black and white and the duvernay test has shades of gray um <laughs> because like you're you're asking it needs to be qualified to mm-hmm. be like okay like mm-hmm. so this movie has like three speaking parts for people of color um so you have leslie uggams <laughs> a name I will say for the rest of my days. <laughs> uh, you have um, an Indian cab driver uh, who kind of has a, a running uh, j- gag going, where he he's in a couple of times. But it's, it's a good gag. It's a good gag. It's he's fine. still it's still a, it's still a cab driver. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I the feel gag's like it's not based on his race. I or... feel like it, it would make it into the master of none <laughs> um, skewering of okay. of Indian characters in, in, in pop culture. And then um, who am I forgetting? I feel like there's someone else. I think it's not just the two of them. I was looking at Marina Bakarin, and she is from like Brazil, but her parents mm. are, are Italian. Yep, nope. So yeah, <laughs> you know, Rebecca is also very judgy about I'm like still, Latin American countries. Still and judging which ones... that Guatemalan from last couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yes, Oscar, Oscar Isaac's, Isaac's uh, ethnicity is very much in question for Rebecca. <laughs> So yeah, so I would say that it's around like a C, C plus on the Duvernay scale. Okay. Um, it has some. I think the Leslie Uggams thing was was she, was she a character in the in the comics? I have no idea. I mean, just the fact that they decided to give him like an you know an older black female roommate mm-hmm. um, when there was really no like script reason for it, I thought was really cool. It was just super could not be more unexpected casting decision. Speaking of unexpected casting decisions. Um, a big question I have is, how is T.J. Miller? I'm a huge fan of his oh, from yeah. Silicon Valley. And if you've never seen Gore Burger, look it up on YouTube. It is one of the funniest things on the internet. He's this giant monster that takes over a Japanese talk show. Mm. And it just has his way, like, actually continues the show. Anyway, Gore Burger, <laughs> look it up. Spell it how it sounds. Yes. How is T.J. Miller? He's funny. He's funny. Yeah. <laughs> he, he plays a TJ Miller type. Okay. Um, he plays like a wisecracking bartender at the bar that Deadpool always goes to. He's like his his best friend confidant. Um, Which apparently is also like a big character from the comic books. Mm-hmm. Nick- nicknamed Weasel. Oh, okay. But mm-hmm. I don't think they actually called him that in the movie. Yeah, I don't remember that happening. But I mean, he's 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 very he, he's a great comic foil to Ryan Reynolds. They I mean they are both. They're both really, really strong comic presences in terms of like just their motor mouth right. quipathons that each of them tend to tend to do, and they're able to sort of choreograph their their scenes of dialogue together to be complementary. Uh, so yeah, so those two together uh, have really good uh, yeah comic chemistry, and uh, uh, yeah, T.J. Miller doesn't have to do anything dramatic or anything, right? Uh, but you know, he yeah, he he plays a good uh, a good concerned wisecracking sidekick. And this movie was written by the guys who did Zombieland. Yeah. And then it was directed by a guy whose background is in video games. Yes. Does it feel like does it feel like those things? I think so. I think so, yeah. No, I, I thought it was in a the, good way. Or the in director a bad was way. the director of So this is like his feature directorial debut. Yeah. 
And, um, but, and he, he's worked a lot. Like he did the opening credit sequence for the girl, with the dragon tattoo, the Fincher version, which was like a cool as fuck opening sequence. So his background's in more visual stuff. And I and think the opening visual of like, just like the opening, like freeway kind Deadpool, of like yeah. shot was, was pretty amazing. Yes. It yeah. It's pretty great. It really is. It's this, yeah, super slow-mo unfolding. Like basically it opens with a slow-mo kind of uh reveal of a moment of great calamity mm-hmm. um and it, it it starts pulled in very tight and it just kind of gradually pulls back and it's really it's it's clever uh so yeah i would say it, it could not feel more zombie land okay like the tone in terms of just like just being very in on its own jokes and but like surprising and and, and energetic mm-hmm. super zombie land uh and yeah and the direction certainly has a, a strong visual um point of view so, yeah, I think that it definitely comes off that way. What are you guys going to give this movie? Well, before we get to the rating, okay. <laughs> one thing that I wanted to say uh, that this is my only drawback, my only real criticism of the movie is I feel like it's a little too pleased with itself. Ah, and this a little mu- smug. It's a little smug. And part of that, and, 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 and Scott and I can have a, a back and forth on this, but um, can we? <laughs> yes, I, I'm allowing Not in Scott front of me. to weigh Not in. Front of me. <laughs> Step outside, please, Susan. I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. So, and part of it is, is, is just Ryan Reynolds' comic persona in general is is a very smug one. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, that's what he plays. You know, he, he tends to play kind of smug, self-satisfied jerks. And that that kind of personality and that attitude are very strong in this movie. And the movie seems to share the attitude. Mm-hmm. And I will say on that is that that's really part of what the Deadpool character is like. When, whenever you're rough talking to the camera, basically, mm-hmm. you kind of come across as smug because you're commenting on the action happening in the scene. Right. So it's kind of hard to do that without coming across as smug. Yeah. And I think Ryan Reynolds does do that a lot in other movies as well. And I think yeah. that's why he's a really good fit for just the character in the role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't really picture anyone else playing the character as written. Um, but but yeah, just to me, not being familiar with the comic books, I was like, okay, movie, I get it. You're pleased with yourself. You're breaking all the rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so that, that rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. Uh, and it kind of continued to rub me the wrong way for me the first hour or so. Um, but, but I, I think that, but yeah, with what Scott's saying about that, just being part of the character and part of the storytelling, it seems like they couldn't have told the story of Deadpool without doing that. So I will allow it. Oh, how oh, generous of you. Yes. So what are we rating it? Uh, I'd say binge it. I'm going to say binge it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that this, it, it, it just is, it's so fun. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's really enjoyable. It's, it's very entertaining. It's very funny. Um, and it's, it's just a fresh way of telling a superhero story. And, uh, so yeah. And I think it, it won't disappoint the fans. And it, it did justice by like a very beloved character in the comics. And it, it really, I think it will play well to a lot of the fans out there. Awesome. There you go. Well, thank you so much, Scott, for Yay! joining us and providing you. your nerd expertise. Oh, anytime, anytime. Um, if you'd like to come back, just come back into this room from the other room where you stay when we <laughs> yeah. usually record this. Just, just, just give a quick double knock in the door. Okay, then... I'll, I'll, I'll see you next week, though. <laughs> <laughs> Deadpool is out now and is rated R for strong violence and language throughout, sexual content, and graphic nudity. And that brings us to movie number two, which is Zoolander 2. When the world's most beautiful people are systematically assassinated with formerly famous male model Derek Zoolander's trademark look on their face, 
Interpol recruits Derek and his friend Hansel to infiltrate a new and different world of high fashion in order to put a stop to it. But how am I supposed to stop Mugatu? I'm the mama pajamba! I'm the mama pajamba! You're Derek Zoolander. He stopped a Chinese throwing star with a look. Flash me that beautiful Magnum. Wait, Magnum, now! All right, it's been 15 years since the first Zoolander movie. A lot has changed. Ben Stiller has gotten the whole gang back together for this highly anticipated sequel. Mm-hmm. Now, you think they wait so long right. to get the perfect screenplay. Yeah. But? They didn't. Nope. <laughs> what a fucking mess. <clears throat> they did not care. This was about getting everyone's schedules to align. <laughs> <laughs> it took and 15 that, years. Yes. And then when they finally could, they just shot what they had. And were like, we're going to fix it and post. And the result is so disappointing and so unfunny. I can't imagine that there are like, I mean, it's just, it's one of them. I feel like there are, there are, these are adult men who created the script and then now have to stand by it. I know. It seems impossible. It does. It does. Like, I can't imagine that they're proud of it. But they're doing they're doing the whole big worldwide press tour and you know Justin Theroux's going around with Kristen Wiig and Will Ferrell and Ben Stiller. Mm-hmm. Justin Theroux wrote on this. Yeah, yeah, Justin Theroux co-wrote as well as reprises his role from the first movie mm-hmm. back before anyone knew who he was. And uh, except for those of us who knew him as the cowboy in Romy Michelle's High School Reunion, <laughs> we knew him. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it's 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 just. Wow, it just never turns over. Mm-hmm. I, I keep, I have this like this car engine metaphor I like to make mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. for, because like, I feel like, you know, a movie is almost like it needs to, it, I'm going to switch metaphors. It needs to have liftoff. Yeah. Well, you know, the air and the gas need to combust. Yeah. With the, with the thing, the thing something. has to flip the thing and then the engine then has to goes... rum, rum, rum. And yeah. it never quite does that thing. And because, you know, you're just waiting for it to hit its, hit, hit its stride, basically. You're waiting for it to be like, okay, like, now we have liftoff. Now we're at, like, comedic stride. Now it's, like, it has its, its rhythm of humor and gags. And and now, you know, okay, so, like, the character's being funny. The actor's being funny. Da, 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 but it just never, that never happens in this no. movie. It just, like, it's, it just kind of, like, limps along and is just never funny. Like, you're just waiting for it. You spend the whole movie waiting for it to get funny. Right. And it just never happens. And it's just such like a uh, such a shrug. And just to be fair, we're not we're not using the same criteria that we would use for sort of Saul or yeah, Mustang with right. this. The, we're not saying this should be an Oscar nominee. Right, but the criteria here is to say one, is this movie funny? Yeah. Or two, is this movie entertaining? Yeah, and it just kind of fails on both. Like it's so forgettable. It's it's yeah, it it does not bring the funny. And it's not especially entertaining. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. like I wouldn't say that it's boring, but it is tedious just because it's never funny. So you're just watching right. these people carrying on in what clearly is intended to be a funny way. Right. And which makes it painful. Which makes it painful. Right. Because, I mean, what's more painful than watching people trying and failing to be funny? Uh, Nothing. Yeah. Because I mean, watching people trying and feeling to be sexy, at least, is funny. So if they were <laughs> trying and feeling to be sexy the whole time, then that would be hilarious. Uh, but that's not what's happening in this movie. There are a lot of top-billed actors, though. Um, there are. Who brings it, do you think, the most? Well, so the first half of the movie is mainly just Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson uh, reprising their characters of, of Derek and Hansel. And... Oh, man. Like, the, ti- <laughs> the tired shtick that they wrote for themselves... It's just, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's kind of, like, the setup is kind of funny in terms of, so we the movie opens with sort of um, a, a timeline, a chronology of what's happened with these people mm-hmm. in the ensuing 15 years um, since the last movie. 
And Hansel's thing is kind of funny because he settled into a life of like orgy domesticity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he basically just like yeah. found like a really insane motley crew of like orgy co-participants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's just like settled into like domestic life with all of them, which is funny the first time they show it. Right. And right. uh, and then it just kind of is just repeated like, hey, guys, is this still funny? Remember the orgy people? <laughs> Here they are again. So the movie, the moment when the movie really starts to have liftoff, well, in the first half is anytime they show Kristen Wiig. Right. Yeah. Kristen Wiig in this movie is giving such an unhinged, just deranged performance. And a lot of it is is the makeup and the styling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but she does not. I don't think, you know, she hasn't let it. She wears it. She doesn't let it wear her. Yeah, I didn't even recognize her. Yeah, yeah. It's it's she she's it's if you don't know it's her, you're not going to realize it's her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she it's this 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 comic creation. It's kind of a, a mix of, uh, it's like a mix of of Donatella Versace. Mm-hmm, yeah, with a bit of you know the Maya Rudolph impression of Don, yeah. Donatella Versace <laughs> thrown in, and uh, and Daphne Guinness. It's just like these insane you know fashionistas who go really really over the top and are maybe super leathery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, like and a football, he, he like a football. And Kristen Wiig's mispronunciations of words in this movie are just deranged and yeah. amazing. And it doesn't get old. No, that's one joke that never gets old because mm-hmm. uh, she just she just twists every word in really unexpected ways. Yeah. <laughs> not unlike Drew Jogi's Chloe Sevigny impression. Um, yes. Which I was thinking of more than anything else. So <laughs> Kristen Wiig is the only bright spot in the first half of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then, I never thought I'd say this, but thank God for Will Ferrell. He really jumped in and saved the last part of that movie. He kickstarts that shit uh, when he shows up. Uh, and... What I think what we don't think about often is that, because why would you, is that the first Zoolander <laughs> came out before Will Ferrell was a movie star. Uh, he was still on SNL. It mm-hmm. was, you know, Anchorman had not come out, which is really the movie that made him into uh, into a full-fledged comic leading man. Um, I think old school? I don't even know if old school had come out yet. I, I think, don't think so. that was like 2002, mm-hmm. 2003. Um, so he really was an untested movie uh, actor at that point who people only knew from SNL. And uh, and now here we are, fifteen years later, and he's Will Ferrell, mm-hmm. and he is so much more confident now yeah. as an actor than he was then. Uh, that he really knows like how to deliver what a scene needs. Mm-hmm. And so once him and Kristen Wiig are on the, on on screen together, then like, I think I just felt like finally, like, oh, thank Christ, like <laughs> we have some people here who can actually fucking be funny, right? Uh, unlike the rest of the people in this movie. And he does that fantastic Will Ferrell thing where you're like not quite sure if anything he's saying is scripted or if he's making it up as he goes along, <laughs> which is which always keeps you entertained. Yes, and I will say the actor who plays uh, his 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 assistant, his his right hand oh, man, yeah. is also hilarious. Yes, I mean it's a it's a it's a it's a common enough character that it's it's a cliche, but mm-hmm. just there's one wordless scene between the two of them in a helicopter really you like that I, I thought that scene was hilarious just I thought be- it was kind of like an old no homo joke I mean it was kind of there was one no homo look that Will Ferrell threw to him mm-hmm. but like they are homo though <laughs> <laughs> so I felt like it was more of just a series of weird like wordless expressions being tossed back and forth and just two good comic actors ratcheting up like mm-hmm. what other weird faces can we make at each other to like <laughs> further whatever weird emotional narrative is happening between these two men <laughs> So in addition to these top build actors, um, there are a fuck ton of cameos. So many. Uh, what did you think about that? Well, it's it's distracting and desperate. Um, anyone who's seen the last few seasons of Will and Grace knows that <laughs> that you don't bring out that many cameos unless you're worried about failing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and the first one is the most 
wildly overexposed one of Justin Bieber mm-hmm. uh, in the opening scene. And, and, and that really is the best one. Uh, there's, I think, at, at the very end of it, uh, I mean, first of all, you know, they give him a very long, brutal death scene. Right. That is just definitely like audience wish fulfillment. Our our audience did break into applause. Yeah, they, they cheered. Yeah, they cheered it. And clearly they knew that. And good and good on Justin Bieber for being able to joke about himself like that. He'd be like, everyone wants to see me die. So let's like, let me be shot to death like I'm fucking Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> uh, so, and then, uh, and then he has a funny little, little, little stinger at the end of yeah. his death scene that is... Is also very funny. Mm-hmm. So Bieber, <laughs> Bieber weirdly is the best cameo, I think, in terms of his performance, in terms of how funny it is and how well it works. I enjoyed Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah. It gets a little old, but it, um, it was shocking enough and in the in the context, and very that was un- pretty funny. Very unexpected miscarriage joke. <laughs> in, um, in and then I would cameo. say the most surprising, well, I guess I shouldn't say what the most surprising one was. Well, so here's one, one thing that I'll say about the cameos is that you're seeing these people who are very cool mm-hmm. and very famous or some combination of cool and famous. And seeing them in this just shitty, lame sequel, it's yeah. just depressing. It doesn't add anything. No. And it just makes them look like, oh, why'd you agree to do this? Mm-hmm. Like, I'll, I will name two. Um, Christina Hendricks oh, uh, yeah. appears mm-hmm. in one scene and uh, and basically is just there to be sexualized. And then Susan Sarandon drops in oh, right. into mm-hmm. that same scene. And the thing that's really depressing about her cameo is that she repeats one of her Rocky Horror catchphrases mm-hmm. and she brings it out for this shitty movie. Yeah. And so it just feels like a casting pearls before swine situation where it's like this <laughs> Susan Sarandon, this movie does not deserve you saying touch it, touch it, touch me. Right. It doesn't like you are better than this. That line is better than this. So that was kind of a bummer. And yeah, after a while, it's just distracting. It's just really, really distracting. And like, oh, wow, they, they just don't have anything funny to say. So just bring in the famous friends to like distract you. Like, hey, look at me. One of the cameos that I dislike the most, who is just an actor that I, I don't like. Um, his shtick is always the same. And it bugs me every time is Kyle Mooney. Oh. I know some people think he's the funniest guy, but I, I can't get on board yeah. with him. Not so much a cameo is just a full supporting character. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I guess they, yeah, I guess he was in there for a minute. Yeah, yeah, he had he had a few scenes, and he I I I couldn't remember his name. I was like, oh, it's that fucking guy from Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. who does like the lo-fi video, you know, yeah. VHS parodies of of guys filming themselves skateboarding and talking about dumb music. He has such a specific niche, and he actually plays this exact same character exactly. in Hello, My Name Is Doris. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, he great. Ha- yeah, <laughs> so you have that to look forward so to. So people think that's funny. Yeah, people think it's funny. Kyle Mooney now has a running shtick where people go to him to be like this kind of weird hipster bro. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's like, I mean, if you think if you think having a character where making fun of hipsters is funny, still, yeah, if then... you think that's still funny in 2016, uh, then Kyle you found Mo- your guy. Yeah, Kyle Mooney is your guy. And uh, you know, I will say that his 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 delivery and the way that he does his line readings, like they are, it's distinctly his. Very distinctly. Yeah, no one else, you know, so he's done that thing. Love it or hate it. Yes. <laughs> he's done that thing of finding a very, a very unique and unprecedented way of, of reading his lines. And that's, I guess, why he's getting offered these parts. They're like, you know, like that guy in SNL, the way he talks. Wait, can we get him? Exactly. And then, yes, you can, because he's not famous yet. So. <laughs> and speaking of cameos, Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, there's uh, one memorable, two memorable scenes uh, with Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, there's one that's a dialogue scene with um, Zoolander and, and Hansel. 
Benedict Cumberbatch plays a transgender supermodel named All. Thoughts? I'll just I'll just sit back and just, feel like and I'm just, I'm over here like just fiddle with starting your the fire. I'm just like I'm rubbing two sticks together and I'm just gonna blow on it. Okay, go. So okay, uh, when I when Benedict Cumberbatch first appears as this character All. Um, at first, I was thinking, "Oh, this is fine." Um, mm-hmm. You know, I had seen, you know, all the, you know, that the internet was angry for a minute when they found out that Ben Cumberbatch was playing like a trans supermodel in this movie, and and I guess in the trailers, they, I see, I never watch trailers. I, I true confession time. I don't watch trailers <laughs> because I know I'm going to end up watching the movie, so I'd rather just see it when I see the movie right. rather than have like you know, oh, I already know this joke or whatever. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, so the internet was angry about it because, you know, it was a cisgender actor playing a trans character in a comedy, which made it seem like maybe it was going to be making fun of this trans character. And so when they first bring him out, I was like, oh, this is kind of funny. Like, Benedict Cumberbatch, ha- you know, he has a very striking kind of hot editorial face. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and they just and they basically just kind of like take his eyebrows off and, and put a long black wig on him mm-hmm. and have him act weird. And so it, it had me at first, like in its corner. I was like, okay, I'm all right with this. This is this is Benedict Cumberbatch being funny. But then, uh, then it just starts to play to like this kind of really lame Joe Schmo low level transphobia. Mm-hmm. With they, yeah. were, they have Kyle Mooney there introducing um, Benedict to uh, Derek and Hansel. And he refers to all with a pronoun himself. Mm hmm. Which clearly they was like they thought was funny, right? Uh, but which just feels like a lame like. What do you call him? <laughs> well, I felt like the Kyle Mooney character. It's like the movie set up that that this all model like everybody understood that this was okay, and and it like the Kyle Mooney character was like building up like how awesome all is, and mm-hmm. um, you know that the this person was able to marry themselves, which is like that's a oh, bad yeah. joke. So that's even, a bad joke. Yeah, so we didn't even get to that. Yeah, um, that there's yeah mono marriage is a joke in the movie, which is a terrible, terrible, stupid joke. Right, and but but the the frame of mind is that like. This is what's cool now. This is okay. But mm-hmm. you guys are so stuck in the 90s that, like, you don't understand it. Right. Which just leads to this dialogue between Hansel and Zoolander that is, not only is it, like, in poor taste, it's a terrible joke. It's a terrible joke. It's, so, it's what's lower than sophomore? It's childish. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that adult, like, this, this is a scene most of all where I'm like, adult men wrote this. Yeah. Acted it out. Probably took a couple of takes, said it over and over again, and they still thought it was okay to, yeah, and they to picked, publish. And they picked that take, and we're like, this is the best one. Right. What do they even say? I don't even remember. I it, don't even want to. Okay. I can't. Uh, it, it, it's, yeah, it's played for, yeah, it, and, and that is, you know, you're supposed to be looking at from their point of view, and I just feel like it appeals to a portion of the population that, like, the joke is, yeah, when did this suddenly become a thing that we all are okay with and it's just normal? Mm-hmm. You know, like you're supposed to relate to like Derek and and, and Hansel being like, right. what are we looking at? What is this? Uh, and uh, and then Benedict Cumberbatch's performance takes a turn for like the grotesque and menacing. Mm-hmm. Right. To make you be like, ooh. Right. And it's just, it's not handled well. Like, there are lots of ways that they could have uh, introduced Derek and Hansel to the idea that, like, now there are trans supermodels. Right. They basically just they just go into this straight, so, but are you a woman or a man? Like, right. what, what's, what's, oh, what's in your pants? I know what joke you're talking about now. What? Okay. But, but, yeah. but seriously, exactly. what do you straight have? Straight to the genitals, right? The most, the most offensive, reductive, mm-hmm. like, 
Laverne Cox disapproved <laughs> question right. that there can be, uh, which is like, let's talk about your genitalia right now. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, it's it's really just a basic shitty pandering to the lowest denominator joke about the rise of trans culture. And this this approach also um, rears its head when when we have the uh, Penelope Cruz scenes, mm-hmm. the way sexuality is is childishly handled yeah uh, and then the same thing there's like a whole you know subplot about how Derek Zoolander's child is fat oh yeah right it handles uh, body acceptance issues transgender issues and female sexuality in the way that like a teenage boy would yeah it's 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 not sophisticated comedy that's for sure um and I feel like the question is like who is the joke at the expense of like the fat son jokes I was okay with because those were at the expense of Derek I thought those were the expense of Derek Zoolander being this kind of super, uh, uh, you know, like just super vain, super conceited, super um, uh, shallow fashion person for whom the worst thing ever could mm-hmm. be having a fat son. Mm-hmm. So that to me, I was okay with because I felt like they were playing it for jokes at Derek's expense. He was about the joke. The son was not. The son has, you know, the son is like, the son's like smart and quippy and being like, dad. You're, what, what the fuck is wrong with you? And then Derek is saying looking like an idiot. So if to, it had been a one-time thing, I would agree with you. But it it's revisited over and over again enough in this movie that I think would be I don't know I don't see I don't see the benefit to it. Mm-hmm. But and then in terms of the Penelope Cruz character, which girlfriend girl Penny Cruz, what are you doing in this movie? No idea. Girlfriend wants a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Girlfriend wants some money for her kid because... Jason, what are we talking about? I'm sorry. I'm not doing any one impression. <laughs> you um, just mix all the races together. Yeah, it's just, I guess I'm you just can't a, be held accountable. It's, it's a melange. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. So Penelope Cruz basically just degrades herself in this movie. Yeah. Because she's not funny. Um, she's not cast to be funny. She can be funny, but they don't let her be funny. No. She plays like an Interpol agent. Um, right? Did yeah, she work for fashion Interpol? Police. Fashion Interpol. Ugh, whatever. Something stupid. And she is just there to be gorgeous, which she is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, it's always great to see her in the in the sense that seeing her is always a wonderful thing because she is so beautiful. But then what they do with that is they just turn her into this weird thing to be groped. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like there, she's just there to have a far lesser mortal like Ben Stiller. Right grab her tits because she tells him to so that they can swim together. Right. And, you know, she's like, I won't do the accent. I was about to. <laughs> uh, probably wouldn't have turned out well anyway. Uh, but she's like, she's like, grab my, put your hands on my breast so that we can swim and you won't fall away. And he's like, ooh, okay. And, and so you just have to watch Ben Stiller's grubby hands grab oh. her rack uh, while she's saying they're stripped down to a bikini. And it's just, it's, it's retrograde. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the, this movie has not evolved the way that with comedy right comedy and pop culture in general have have come a quite a long way in 15 years yeah. since 2001 definitely and uh, and i'm not saying that to be like preachy or to be like hey movie you're not pc enough i'm just saying that that we have evolved and that comedy has you know the best comedy evolves with the times mm-hmm. and is able to like reflect that and this movie is sort of like it's for that guy who's stuck in 2001 who's like, yeah, what is the deal with everyone being like, oh, we should treat women with respect. Right. And what the fuck's a trans anyway? Like, it exactly. feels like this movie is made for that person. Um, and I, I hate this movie in particular because I hate being the police about yeah. P, the PC police. 
And but this movie, you can't you can't sit there and think it's funny. Like it's not funny. We're not at a point where that kind of thing is. If you have any sort of awareness about what's going on in the world, mm-hmm. this movie is not funny. And then you have to explain why it's not, and then it makes you sound like an asshole. Right, which is why you guys have stopped listening by now. <laughs> You're like, all right, angry gay mom and dad. I get it. You don't like the movie. Well, but in terms of in the sense of what's happening, this movie could have reflected on. Here's what I think is the biggest missed opportunity. Like, we now live in a culture where, okay, so, and this is, I think, something that we were thinking about talking about later, but mm-hmm. this movie, the first movie came out and reflected a very specific point in time where, you know, it was right after the supermodel-obsessed 90s, mm-hmm. and high fashion had trickled down in mainstream culture to the point that the VH1 Vogue Fashion Awards were a thing oh, right. that happened every year. And that was like a big setting of the first movie. Mm-hmm. Like a big plot point, can, you know, swung around whether or not Derek was going to win Male Model of the Year <laughs> at the VH1 Vogue Fashion Awards. That was pointed, that was specific, that was relevant. It was toward the tail end of relevance, but mm-hmm. it was still relevant because that was a thing that was happening. This movie, it's like Ben Stiller has not stopped and thought for a second. Like, well, let's see. Like, what's in the world now that we can reflect right. on? And all he came up with was like, trans right and that's it and and the thing that's so missed about that is in a world where beautiful idiots are like the main currency now in the era of the kardashians Mm -hmm. and the era Mm -hmm. of of basically of of zoolander style airheads who now are you know the world's biggest celebrities for not even for not doing anything for not even having a skill such as modeling right like, to have Derek be like, so wait, like, why are they more famous than me? Like, I can do my faces. Like, there are so many things they could have right. done with yeah, like, Derek, Derek being called out of obscurity and then having to adjust to the new world. This movie does not reflect any kind of sense of, it's like, it makes fun of hipsters and it makes, except for it even gets that wrong because like the super underground hipster fashion show they have is DJed by goddamn Skrillex. <laughs> As if any self-respecting hipster right. would walk within a hundred miles of a venue where Skrillex was DJing, right. uh, so it gets that wrong. Yeah, I'd miss a whole opportunity of what is fashion now, like yeah, a Kanye is... West style show. Right. I feel like would have been a good kind of topic to go with. It just fucks it all up. It just it is not. It's not pointed. It's not relevant. It, it's 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 it just shows a great sort of lack of being in touch with what's happening culturally, aside from like hipsters and trans, I guess. Right. Like that's the movie's best guess at like what's happening now that they could like play for laughs off of like Derek and Hansel being like stuck in 2001. So full disclosure, I don't really remember the first Zoolander. I know I saw it, but I don't remember it. And I'm definitely not someone who considers it a cult classic or revisits it with any joy or uh-huh. purpose. Um, how do you think the people that do, the people who found the cult classic, found became made it a cult classic? How do you think they're going to enjoy this? I, I feel like there's probably a, a diverse cross-section of people that made it a cult classic. I think that, you know, part of what made Zoolander a cult classic was that it took this very sort of feminized expression of masculinity and it played it for laughs that straight people could enjoy. Mm-hmm. So it sort of like commodified a lot of things about like, essentially about sort of queer culture in the sense that fashion is just inherently kind of queer culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made it palatable and broadly funny enough that like straight guys could watch and be like oh that's funny like the movie the movie played a man being you know vain about his appearance for laughs right and uh and so i think that like the dummies who like the first movie (laughs) um (laughs) will probably like the second movie but i think that you know people who enjoyed like a movie that had like a david bowie cameo Mm -hmm. and a movie that actually seemed to like have some kind of 
um, fluency in the world of fashion and was able to be more of like an in on the joke of fashion right. kind of thing. Cause like, you know, like America's Next Top Model is basically a, a parody of the fashion world. Mm-hmm. Zoolander one was a parody of the fashion world and they're, you know, enjoyable in, in a way that the sequel is not because the sequel is no longer a parody of the fashion world. The, right. the sequel just doesn't care. The sequel is just just cut off. Like it's just telling its own weird, lame story that feels patched together in post, and it just doesn't. It doesn't have the targets. It doesn't. If it has targets, it misses them. Right. So that said, send it back. Send it back. Send it back for sure. Yeah. There's this. Don't pay to see this movie, dear God. No. <laughs> don't pay to see this movie. If you want to see a great comedy this weekend, go see How to Be Single. Zoolander 2 is out now and is rated PG-13 for crude and sexual content, a scene of exaggerated violence, and brief strong language, but not that any of that matters because you're not going to go see it. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thanks. So we are at our last movie, which is Where to Invade Next. To learn what the United States can learn from other nations, Michael Moore playfully invades them to see what they have to offer. My mission, I will invade countries with names I can mostly pronounce. Take the things we need from them and bring it all back home. Because we have problems no army could solve. I'm going to tell you from my own personal life, abstinence works. So this movie seems kind of vague. Um, Michael Moore is known for very clearly focused movies. There's Bowling for Columbine, mm-hmm. which you all know what that's about. Um, a Sicko, which is about healthcare, and Fahrenheit 9-11, which was about terrorism, 9-11. Right. Um, but this one... Very vague. Where to invade next? He goes to a bunch of different countries. Yeah. What's... Well, it's basically... This movie is basically like a Michael Moore travelogue of like things he likes that other countries do. Okay. Uh, so that's that's literally what it is. It's it, like a food blog. <laughs> well, it, it actually even has... It has like a fictional premise uh, where he has been called to the Pentagon um, and they have said like, Michael Moore, we've lost our way. <laughs> uh, you know, the country, you know, we focus too much, uh, you know, money and resources on fighting foreign wars and our country's in trouble. You know, what should we do? Where should we invade next? And so they send him off as like this, you know, goodwill ambassador of sorts to go around and like gently invade all these different countries that have different practices and policies that he finds to be good ideas that we should incorporate. So. Yeah, it's basically an, it's basically a travelogue. It's like Michael Moore visits countries in Europe and praises them for their like universal health care. Yeah, what are some of the ideas that he's claim he claims so, for America? So there's a few. Uh, so uh, in France, he focuses on how good their school lunches are and how sort of like uh, uh, direct their sex education is. Finland uh, for things like how their their school is better because they know the kids don't have homework. They have really short school days, short school years, no standardized testing. Slovenia has free college. Germany has good working conditions. He also uses Germany as an example of um, how to own um, a dark past. Mm. Uh, so he shows. What do you mean by that? So he shows. Uh, so he shows like basically the attitude of the people he talks to about the Holocaust uh-huh. and like just the general air of like atonement and remorse that they feel, and you know juxtaposing that with like defensive american white people being like well i didn't own any slaves oh, and you know uh-huh. i didn't do it myself nor did my parents so why should i you know like it's not my problem i didn't so you uh, know using that as like a juxtaposition of like yeah if you have like a horrible genocide in your country's past or multiple genocides mm-hmm. then maybe just be respectful about that right 
Uh, so Portugal for legalized drugs, uh, Norway for uh, prison reform. Uh, he also delves into their response to that terrible oh, the uh, shooting? mass shooting um, and, uh, and, you know, essentially showing that, you know, that, that no one that he talks to is, you know, trying to seek revenge and they are, they're holding even the man who you know, carried out these crimes um, is, you know, held to the same, what we would view as lax um, sentencing as, oh, okay. as anyone else like that. You can't be sentenced to prison, uh, prison sentence longer than X number of years. And it's like a, what sounds to us like a lowish number, like, like 15 or something like that. Wow. Um, hmm. So, uh, yeah. So he uses that as an example to be like, here's another way that we could be better people about, you know, um, things that we've been through. Like, here's, mm-hmm. here's a country that had this one terrible shooting happen. Here's how they dealt with it. And here's how the victims feel. Uh, Tunisia. Um, has free government-funded health care for women that includes abortions. Hmm. Uh, Iceland for just overall female empowerment and uh, how they respond to the financial crisis. And uh, so that's kind of... <laughs> All I could think of is that Bjork skit from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> where they have, I forgot. Who, maybe it's Kristen Wiig is like yeah, Bjork. She, yeah, oh, yeah, it's so good. Yeah, it was her. Uh, but uh, but no, there, and there, there is at least one... Um, you know, so so essentially, it seems like Iceland is 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 run almost entirely by women. If you're to believe this documentary, and um and one of the female interview subjects says something along the lines of like every board, like you know every every board, every corporate board, every organizational board should have at least three women, um because one is tokenism, two is a minority, uh, mm. so it needs to have at least three women on every board. Which is probably the only sentence from this movie that uh, that stuck I that, I, that stuck with me. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, we need yeah. to get more women on this board. <laughs> we are a fifty-fifty split. <laughs> <laughs> I am a minority. <laughs> yes. um, so this movie is all Michael Moore in front of the camera, yeah. and he has a certain Michael Moreisms yeah. um, that you see in most of his movies. What do you see here? Oh God, all of them. Oh. Uh, so well, there's a lot of so. <laughs> I mean, first of all, there are a lot of like um, transitional shots when he's going from country to country, where he is just like, like schlubbing his way through airports with an American flag slung over his shoulder, <laughs> but with like his full Michael Moore drag of you know baseball hat and, yeah. and, and you know jacket over t-shirt and jeans and all that. Uh, so that's that's ridiculous. Um, but so there's some things that Michael Moore always does that kind of irk me. And there's two in particular that are in full effect in this movie. One of which is his habit of when he's interviewing people who live... Well, actually, I'll start with the other one because it ties into this. He paints such rosy pictures of other countries mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that as an adult, like when we were all watching Bowling for Columbine in college, we right. were like, Canada oh, is, yeah. is the fucking best. Why mm-hmm. don't we all live in Canada? And then two weeks later, somebody ate somebody's ear on a Canadian bus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I will say, you know, speaking, you know, in, on, on, on the subject of things that happen after he wraps his movies, like the immigration crisis in Europe, uh, you know, yeah. has certainly cast a pall over like the vision of utopia that michael moore paints in this movie right so but this is the thing like he is not interested in in like showing nuance or complexity mm-hmm. he is he creates these like little mini prop each section of this movie is like a mini propaganda movie about the country he's talking about mm-hmm. he's not about showing like the bad parts he's not about showing the dissent he's not about showing the conservatives in those countries like he just shows like a very cherry-picked piece of it right to be like this 
this is amazing. Look what they do. Uh, and I just feel like that does a disservice because, yeah. you know, like that's just, that's not reality. Like it's a part of reality, but it's not the full reality. Right. And, 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 and it just kind of stokes that, that very college age idealism mm-hmm. to be like, well, you know what they do in Tunisia? Right. It's like, okay, well, they probably do a lot of other things in Tunisia. Don't be that guy. <laughs> yeah, don't be that guy. Um, yeah, when you said, when you mentioned Iceland, all I could think of was like, well, there's actually a really strong, like, right conservative extremist yeah. um, faction that this guy that did the shootings was, like, a part of. And, like, that's actually Norway. quite of an issue. I'm sorry, Norway. Yeah. Right, yeah. Iceland yeah. has that whole fox <laughs> running the money thing, which is a complete... And by fox, I mean woodland creature. Right. <laughs> Chaos reigns. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah. So I feel like that is just a shitty thing that he does. Mm-hmm. Um, that just makes it hard to believe and trust his movies because yeah. he doesn't tell you the whole picture. He also, like, just that thing where he just, like, throws out facts and figures with zero attribution. Mm. There's one especially bad scene in this where he shows a chart um, comparing what U.S. taxpayers pay versus what French taxpayers pay. And he literally just shows like one stack of something a little higher than another. Without with, like a no, no access? nothing. No further figures, no like quantification, just like, see, just this much more. I'm like, what does that mean, this much? <laughs> what? How? Like, tell, give me some numbers, please. Right. Like, how? Like, he's just like, see, it does not look like it. Just a little bit. Don't wait a little bit more. And it's, it's, so it just makes it, I'm just like, dude, it's your own credibility that you're undermining when you do shit yeah. like that. So there's that. And the other thing that he does is he asks, you know, he takes on that aw shucks persona. Mm-hmm when he does the interviews with people and then whenever they say something that is you know one of the points that he wants to drive home for viewers he then repeatedly re-asks the question as if he's incredulous mm-hmm. he's and so he's to really he, drive it home he's like you know things he knows the answer to because right. he's michael moore he'll be like oh wow so you know what was your bill last time you went to the hospital Oh, yeah. And they're like, oh, well, you know, we do not pay bills for the hospital. You know, what we do do that for? And I'm assuming I can do that accent because it's a white person. Um, <laughs> so, um, and he's like, oh, well, no, I mean, like, because you're in debt now, right? You're in debt for like thousands of dollars, right? And yeah. they're like, oh, why would you be in debt for going to the hospital that is, you know, yeah. to, just to be healthy? And he's like, oh, but that's not possible. I mean, in America, you know, you'd be in debt for, you know, the rest of your life paying back, you know, $50,000 to the doctor. That sounds crazy. So wait, let me get this straight. You didn't pay anything. It's like, okay, God damn it, Michael right. Moore. Like, we fucking get it. Like, it, it, you just, it's childish. Right. Like, and at this point, I feel like the audience for his movies are already so on board with his ideas that, like, that just makes it all the more tiresome. Yeah, exactly. He's preaching the choir already. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's not, there's not, you know, this is not, he's past the point in his career. And I'm not saying he couldn't turn around, but he's past the point where he was bringing new people to the fold. Right. Like, you know, when, when Bowling for Columbine came out, that struck a nerve. It struck a piece of the zeitgeist. And then everyone kind of crowded together to watch it. It was such a national talking point. You know, he went on the Oscars and mm-hmm. won Best Documentary and then, you know, condemned Bush and all that stuff. And then Fahrenheit 9-11, when that came out, was like a right. full-fledged four-alarm event. Uh, you know, so that was his peak relevance. But he has not been there for a long time. Right. And, and anyone that that knows his name has an opinion about him already. Yeah, yeah. So there's not like Michael Moore. Who's that? I mean, I'm sure. I mean, sure. There's probably all you know a lot of kids who don't know who Michael Moore is. Sure. Um, but I, I, I in, and maybe there are kids going to college right now who will like see this movie and be like, just welcome its its very simplistic vision of like all these nice ideas other countries have. Right. 
Um, but you know, those of us who have aged with Michael Moore are are just gonna be like, bitch, please, <laughs> like get a new shtick. This is tired. So, what's the message of this movie? Well, the funny thing is that the message is basically a liberal version of the conservative rallying cry of "Let's take our country back," uh. because he points out that like a lot of these ideas that these other countries have have their root in like American political thought. Okay. Um, so he's like, you know, this is all in our past, and and we're letting other people use it, and we're not using it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Let's make America great. Like he basically like he could literally say Donald Trump's cat slogan of like "Let's make America great again." And just have a completely different meaning for okay. it. Uh, so, so essentially, it's like, look at all these ideas that we came up with. That other countries are using. Why can't we use them again? Mm-hmm. Let's 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 be the country that other countries think we could be. And look how look how good they're doing with our ideas. Right. So yeah. So that's his sort of like his little like nutshell wrap them up moment at the end. Does the movie work? As a movie. As a movie. You know, I mean, it's it's interesting. Like you 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 know, part of me wanted to just get you know give myself to it Mm -hmm. and like enjoy like imagining like how much nicer life could be if i lived in some european country and you know and i'm not like i'm not i'm I'm not trying to discount discredit all the things that he points out in this movie because these are obviously these are all real practices and policies these countries have while he might not present a very diverse portrait of like how that is perceived in the country Mm -hmm. um you know, that's something that he doesn't do. But it's there, and it, it, it all sounds great. <laughs> you know, it all sounds great. So it's inspiring. Sign me up. Yeah, it's, it's inspiring in a very basic way for any, like, lapsed college liberal who, like, wants to feel like he's sitting in the quad again. Right. You know, arguing about sweatshops. And hacky sex. And, yes, and hacky sex. So, um, you know, so it's 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 involving enough, and it does, you know, it, it's, it, it opens your eyes to you know, places in the world where uh, things are just done in a really different way than they are here. So, yeah. So that's, that's it, it's not, it's not boring. It doesn't spend too long belaboring any one point. Um, and, you know, and as you might have noticed from the list of countries I rattled off, he visits a lot of different places. Yeah. Um, so it's really, so yeah, it, it doesn't really, it's not boring, it's involving, it's engrossing, but you can't help but notice all those little more, you know, ticks. Yeah. Do you think it's going to have any impact? You know, like I was saying, I feel like with maybe some college kids, we'll see it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they'll be like, yeah, you know, this is this. These are cool ideas. Did you know that these start off as American ideas? And, you know, and maybe it will be influential down the line because when those people grow up, maybe they'll revere this movie the way that we revere Bullying for Columbine and Fahrenheit 9-11 because mm-hmm. those came out when we were in college. Um but for his existing fan base, no, not even a little bit. And the fact that it is so unfocused, the fact that it is sort of like an anthology travelogue of like little different ideas in different countries mm-hmm. without a cohesive mission statement, the way that Boy for Columbine was about gun control and Fahrenheit 11 was for American response to terror and for Zika was for healthcare. It's, it's yeah, it, it makes it a lot less effective. It's just sort of like a... a, a, a potpourri of, <laughs> of little thoughts and ideas. So what are we giving this one? Uh, this is a consumer moderation. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not it's not terrible. Uh, you know, it has a lot of problems, but I mean, it's it's of course as well intentioned as Michael Moore ever is, and and uh, and yeah, I learned some things from it that I didn't know. And if nothing else, for that line about how many women should be on every board, three. Uh, yes, I have to give it uh, a, a, at least a, a passing grade of consumer moderation. 
Where to Invade Next is out now, and it's rated R for language, some violent images, drug use, and brief graphic nudity. Well, thank you very much for tuning in to this week's episode of The Binge. Yay! And thanks to our special guest, Scott Ward. Thank you, Scott. Um, If you are uh, an Apple or iPhone user, be sure to subscribe on iTunes. If you are an Android user, you can find us uh, on Stitcher or the SoundCloud app. You can find Jason on Twitter. You can. I'm on Twitter, guys. At the Jason Leroy. And I am at Fight Balance um, next week. And what does your name mean, by the way, your Twitter handle? Fight Balance? Yeah. Um, So it sounds like it's Fight Balance, like when you're drunk and you can't stand up straight. That's fight balance. Fight balance. That's a, there's a word for no. When I made that drunk. up. Oh, okay, uh, but it's actually it was supposed to be white balance, like photography. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but then I was in a, in a bad mood, so it was fight balance. So I see. So it's a photography pun. It's a photography pun. I, now I know. Dash drinking lifestyle admission. <laughs> it's really encapsulated you at one point in time. <laughs> I have twelve followers, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> And she will, as we have established, respond to sex bots. Anything. Yes. Particularly sex bots, actually. Hit us up. Um, thank you so much, and uh, goodbye. Bye, guys. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There goes the binge. <laughs>